This podcast is brought to you by Viking Capital, your best friend in swimming pool financing for over 20 years. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast. Today I'm here with Dong Ping Wang, the plus pool designer behind the innovative new floating pool concept that has not only been the talk of the town in New York City, but also the pool industry. People want to know what this pool concept is all about, so we had to have you on the show. So thanks so much for taking the time to join us today, Dong. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's been so many articles and stories written about this pool concept. People have been talking about this project for the better part of 10 years. That's exactly right. It has been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> but it is our baby. And actually, I, w- I will say it's, it's been encouraging that I think even though it's slow, the momentum hasn't really let up. It's just a very slow burn getting something like this in the water. Yeah, I can imagine getting something like this approved is pretty much mission impossible. For those just listening in who don't know much about Plus Pool and maybe have only read an article or seen a photo on social media, why don't you give everybody an overview about what the Plus Pool project is all about? Sure. So it's a floating pool, as you mentioned. It's an Olympic-sized pool, at least in length. Um, It's shaped like a plus. If you get to see a photo of it, it'll make a lot more sense why we named it Plus Pool. But basically, the whole idea is to find a way to swim in natural water uh, around New York City, in this case, East River water, which, as you can imagine, is not what everybody thinks of when they think of clean water. And so, you know, how could we swim in that kind of safely? How can we swim in that healthily? And obviously, just kind of treat the water again as somewhere somewhere fun, somewhere the public could use again. I mean, it's a really novel concept because, I mean, basically the location that you picked is what everybody's talking about. It's like a, uh, a natural pool in the East River, and they're going to use water from the East River so that we're going to swim in it. I mean, it's all anybody's <laughs> talking about. So, I mean, I, I guess really what people want to know is how do you plan to accomplish this? What's the filtration technology behind sure. what you plan to do? So uh, in concept, the filtration basically is a, a big strainer, the whole pool excuse me, kind of acts like a strainer. Filtration is built into the walls of the pool, um, embedded in it, and water literally flows from the East River through the walls of the pool into the pool itself, into the basin of the pool. Um, and then that water is obviously swam in and then filtered again as it moves back out into the East River. So I think in normal use, we're filtering about a million gallons of East River water every day, um, just on normal operations, uh, which is a lot of water, of course, but you know, compared to the whole river, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, but the filtration itself is a combination of technologies that we found um, already existing for other uses, um, industrial wastewater treatment, a lot of municipal uses. We're not really cleaning it to drinking water standards. We don't really need to. But it's a combination of textiles, ultrafiltration membranes, some very rudimentary filtration as well. And the basic idea, like a Brita filter, is that it filters level water in stages, you know, from the, the largest materials down to the smallest. And what you're left with is a, is a pretty clean piece of water that you can swim in. Dumping a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in the pool industry. So I would really love it if you would get a little bit deeper in the weeds with me on how this filtration technology actually works. Sure. So obviously our biggest concern is bacteria. There's, a, I forget how many numbers of different parameters we're looking at, but you know, obviously there's bacteria counts, there's pH, there's oxygen levels, color, but bacteria is the main one. And obviously the reason the coliform counts is where the Department of Health and the state look at the main measure of cleanliness of any body of water they are swimming in, both in terms of pool definition and in New York state, there's something called a bathing beach, which is a man-made pool. And so there's a, there's a coliform count that we try to get under 
Um, I believe it's 35 for bathing beaches, CFUs per, per 100 mil. And really all it is, is, is uh, which, which was new to me, I think, was that we're just moving water through a series of geotextiles to the level where some, I think, are, I don't know if it's a brand name, but some is called ultrafiltration. But I'm sure anybody that deals with filtration with membranes knows it's really just smaller and smaller pore sizes that you're pushing or passively passing water through. And essentially all it's doing is capturing particles. And the good thing is bacteria tends to ride on or be kind of part of larger particles. So it's actually fairly easy to capture as far as I understand in terms of water, water filtration. The other aspect of it is, you know, we're trying to do this completely without chemicals. Um, and one of the reasons is to maintain the natural quality of the water. Uh, it's also just for the effect of swimming, not in a chemically chlorinated environment. But for, for people that work in the pool industry, understanding that the chlorination is really there for the dirtiness of the people more so than the kind of introductory water. And so what we're doing with that is we're maintaining a flow rate within the pool that mimics any natural body of water so that the body is the body of water is constantly refreshed. And we've been doing a lot of health modeling to show that that flow rate combined with our filtration system can keep the cleanliness of the water comparable to sort of chemically treated bodies of water. Yeah, I think the one everybody is always concerned about is uh, interrocaki, right? Exactly, yep. Yeah, just for our listeners' sake. Um, that's that's the, poop for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the whole reason why it's such a novel concept behind what Dom Ping is doing is because traditionally the East River has been such a polluted body of water. In New York, pretty much they tell people don't swim in the East River. All right. They tell them that, you know, during heavy rainfall, rainwater will come off the city streets along with raw sewage and it gets discharged into the city's waterways. About 21 billion gallons of this combined with the sewage end up in the city's waterways annually. And this kind of uh, cocktail gets dumped into the East River about 70 times a year. Isn't that right, Don? That sounds about right. Like you said, heavy rainfall, especially. And so uh, I forget how many numbers, I think there's hundreds of CSOs, uh, combined sewer outfalls or overflows. I always forget which one the O stands for. But basically, it's it's like you said, it's where the city sewage system can't handle the amount of water going into it. And again, that's usually because there's rainfall coming down. You know, it's a very old system, like, like a lot of major cities are built on. And so when there's too much water flooding the system, literally, it just kind of overflows into the East River through these hundreds of points that dot the entire higher coastline of the city. It's not different really than, or I'd say other cities are really no different, which is kind of depressing, but New York having so many people, New York being an old system, you know, it's exacerbated, uh, but that's exactly right. I think that's, that's the major cause of the contamination in the river is this very old infrastructural kind of sewage system that just can't handle that amount of water going through it. And so when it does rain, what's interesting, what we've learned over the last few years is obviously once it rains for about anywhere from 36 to 48 hours or so afterwards, it's, you know, you don't want to touch it. But the city has been actually doing pretty well, or at least the, the river has been doing pretty well, where during non-rainy times, during dry times, the water seems to be decent. It does hit levels that are clean-ish and clean enough. But it is those spikes that is our main concern and those spikes where we're designing one. Have you tested this as like a proof of concept already on a, on a smaller scale? We have. We've done two in-water tests. The first one in 20, oh, this is such an old project. The first one in 2013. Yeah. Uh, and that was really just as we were getting into the idea of even filtering water. Um, we were just testing all these different geotextiles. And this was, you know, since then, the filtration has obviously evolved a lot. But what we did was we built a tank. We put it onto a pier at Brooklyn Ridge Park here in the city and just pumped water, raw water through it, um, East River water through it, and just see the effects of the filtration. It showed some promise, but it certainly at that point wasn't hitting the mark yet. And so we built in 2015, uh, I think that we called Float Lab. Um, 
a very small, very DIY version of the pool, but it allowed us to swap materials in and out. And we sat it in the river and just let it kind of passively filter and then had an additional sort of mechanical system that pumped through much more dense filtration material and, and to see what the effects were. And that was the one where we're like, oh, we can actually clean this. We can actually hit consistent clean water quality levels that we need to hit. After that, we started working with manufacturers, started working with, I mean, we've been working with engineers the whole time, of course, but really started designing out and specifying the mechanics of the thing and the materials of the thing. And we just patented the filtration about two years ago, I believe is when it was approved about a year and a half ago. And we're planning on building uh, a smaller version of Plus Pool as a way to first get people in the water, a much more lightweight version of this, hopefully in the coming year. That sounds really interesting. I think it's really amazing that you picked the East River as the launching point for, uh, <laughs> for this project. I mean, for those who aren't familiar with New York City, I'm a, I'm a New York native, so I'm going to give you a little bit of the geography on it. It's a tidal street, and it, it produces a really strong current. Basically, uh, currents often reach about five knots in that area between Roosevelt Island and five knots around Hell's Gate. So, I mean, the tidal current in the East River is known to flood the north and east parts over there. So, I mean, it's really interesting that you picked that spot. And I would love to know, how do you plan on stabilizing the pool? I mean, what's the technology behind stabilizing this floating pool in the East River? Absolutely. I mean, to your point, one of the reasons or one of the site constraints as we're looking for sites was trying to find sort of pockets within the East River where those currents were a little bit more mitigated. The location that we're looking at now is shielded nicely, you know, as much as you can anyway in the East River, and this is by no means perfect, but it's shielded by a pier structure just with North, um, a little bit by the footing of the Manhattan Bridge just to its South. But to your point, there is still a lot of, a lot of current, let alone wave action from traffic that passes up and down, boat traffic that passes up and down the river. And so there's two things we're doing. I guess three things we're doing. One is just the size of the thing itself. Um, it's quite large. It's quite wide. That alone, I think, gives us a, some stability like you see in larger barges. But obviously, that's not enough by itself. The second is um, just how we anchor it. And so we're, we're using kind of pretensioned anchors um, that can kind of ride the currents and the tides. And even for the kind of one or 200-year storms that we anticipate, it'll ride those without uh, breaking loose and without obviously damaging other structures. Obviously, during those storms, <laughs> we wouldn't keep the pool open. We'd certainly empty out the people from the pool, but um, at least the structural self will stay safe. And then the third is, um, and we're still looking at whether we need this or not, adding a layer of wave attenuation to the outside of the pool, not attached to the pool itself, but on the kind of outer part of the pool towards the center, mm. um, you know, within the outside of the navigable channel, of course, but, but towards the center of the river. And that just helps. We've seen, uh, we have one of our naval engineers worked on a marina on the other side of the river and, and the, the amount of, um, stoppage that it provides is super, super helpful. So that's one option that I think would, would make our job much easier, just those wave attenuations on the outside of the pool. I've watched the other talk that you gave on Indaba. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking about the Plus Pool project. You got into the overall concept over it. I was hoping that we could possibly cover some of that. Could you give us a little bit of backstory on the overall design concept why you chose uh, the plus design, what those quadrants are designed and intended for. Sure. sure. There's two very simple reasons. Um, one is, you know, I really wanted a pool that everybody could feel welcome in. You know, it's in interestingly, like I grew up near the ocean in California. I've lived in New York now about 17, 18 years. But because I think my experience with water is much more in the natural bodies of water, I was, I'm never, I was never that comfortable in man-made pools or in pools, I guess. 
Uh, part of it's a chlorine, part of it's just a kind of confinement. But I knew that to get into pools, there are so many different types of swimmers, so many types of bathers. And I love the social aspect of it. So we wanted a way where people that are there to swim for athletic reasons can swim. People that are there just to hang out, get a suntan can do that. People that are there for swimming for the first time feel comfortable. And so basically it's four pools kind of stuck together in one. That's the idea. Um, there's a lap pool, a sports pool, a lounge pool, and a kid's pool. The kid's pool goes from a kind of zero down to a three foot slope. Um, but that's, that's basically the reason one. The reason two, just to be totally honest, I knew that we needed something that looked different, that looked iconic, that looked striking when you saw it in an image, saw it overhead, saw it for the first time. I think it is very exciting to do a pool in the East River that filters water, but you also, you know, we knew it needed to look incredible um, and like something like you've never seen before. So the plus gave us that, that shape gave us that. Is it going to really light up at night like that? Like I see in the, uh, the concept. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the night, I think cool. the night swimming will be one of the most exciting parts. I think like being in the river, in the middle of the river, getting this vantage point of the city with the bridges overhead that, you know, you only really get if you're on a kayak or on a boat in the middle of the river. I think that's pretty incredible. What's the, uh, the overall price tag on this concept that you're coming up with? Sure. Where we're looking to raise about 25 million. Um, a lot of that covers the soft costs, um, I think there's some operational costs for the first year or two baked into that. Um, but the structure itself, I need to look at the budget again, but I think the structure itself comes in around, I want to say, 15 to 20. It's, it's actually a fairly straightforward structure, but, but with the size of it, um, obviously, it's, it's not a tiny price tag by any means. Do you take it down during the off-season and like in the wintertime you store it someplace? Uh, we have two options. One is to keep it where it is and winterize it. There's even a kind of bonus option of trying to find ways to use it during the winter. For example, we can use it for other programming. We can deck over it, use it as an event space. There are examples. Uh, there's a, a pool called the Bada Shift in Berlin, for example, that's a great example for us, a great precedent for us, where they bubble over it in the winter and use it as a kind of indoor pool. I would love to do that. Um, I think it's going to come down to economics, and we're sort of investigating the winter option now. Um, the other, like you said, is to, is to click it apart, sort of take it apart because it is kind of clickable and these four pools click together and remove it from the water. But actually, we think that may be just as expensive and hard to do and, and um, infrastructurally tricky as leaving it in the water over the winter and actually using it in some fun way. I, I would love to use it. I would love it if it's a pool year-round. The idea of swimming in the middle of winter and obviously a pool that's slightly warmed up and slightly heated would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a cool uh, concept. Obviously, you know, you've been getting some pushback from the city on this for a very <laughs> long time. Um, sure. It looks like the project is finally going to get greenlighted. Um, I know it's got to be an exciting moment for you guys. I mean, this has been something that you've been tinkering with and thinking about for the better part of a decade. I mean, why do you think you've gotten so much uh, pushback from the city up until now? Um, I, I actually think it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's just something that's never been done before um, here or elsewhere. You know, there's obviously floating pools, there's natural pools, um, but I don't think there's ever been one at this scale and one that's filtering the water in the way that we are for public use. Additionally, I think New York City is, is as amazing as New York City is. It's not the easiest place to do innovative public work because of all the, I mean, it's a really large city. It's, it's legally very complicated, but it also comes down to, for example, you know, we, we're talking to a lot of the agencies there's definitions for good reason on what a pool is and what a beach is. There is not a definition for what our thing is, which is sort of a combination of the two, right? It's a man-made structure, but it behaves in a way like a natural body of water, again, without the chemical use. And so there really isn't a clear-cut definition of how to understand this thing from a liability standpoint, from a health standpoint. 
And so a lot of it's up to us to do all that work to show, uh, do the research, do the studies, do the third party evaluations to show it's kind of how healthy it can be. But, you know, understandably, it's a big boulder to push and, and agencies are not necessarily geared towards innovating themselves and, and no fault of, of theirs. They're there to protect the public. And so um, I think they're just kind of doing their due diligence. But obviously, I would have loved if this happened quicker. But I also understand why doing something at this scale takes a long time in New York City, especially because it, it started off very much as a grassroots project. Just uh, me and three of my friends just had this idea. And so, you know, we're not it's not a billionaire backed sort of project like you'll see some of the other kind of publicly run infrastructure projects in the city. So that, that adds another layer of slowness to it. Yeah. I mean, you have a whole uh, ton of sponsors behind you and a whole bunch of corporations. It's a lot easier than when it's just you and your, uh, your, your buddies at the office. Um, <laughs> but you have been involved in a lot of other exciting projects. I mean, uh, that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you is like, you know, this is not your first large uh, project that you're trying to get pushed through. I mean, uh, I was watching your Indaba video and uh, you were just going through a lot of the different slides of the the different architectural projects that your firm is involved in. I mean, you're, you're involved in a lot of exciting stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, would you be open for uh, like a Q&A session from the pool industry if guys who are listening to this want to reach out to you and ask some more questions? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I actually think those are super, I mean, they're enjoyable. And also, I think we end up learning a lot of stuff from the pool industry as well. And frankly, I think the more people we can meet and talk to in the pool world, the better, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I definitely know they were talking about it on Ask the Masters the other day. And uh, Dave Penton is, is super interested in the project. Don't be surprised if you hear him reaching out to you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what could we expect in the future? I mean, they're, they're talking about launching it maybe this year. Uh, I would love to say yes, but I'm guessing it won't be this year. We're already starting into summer. So I think we've missed our critical window of getting something in the water while, the, while it's still hot out. Um, I know that we're working on doing a little something for next year, um, something that's physical and something that people can interact with. Um, like you said, this is a huge milestone for us to start getting that green light going on the political side, on the siting side. It certainly allows us to have confidence now to work with the community that it's in, which is a really exciting community. It's a community that I'm part of, my office is in, coincidentally, but you know, it, it can be hard to really engage with the community until you get a little bit of approval from the city. So we have a lot of work to do uh, on the siting side. I'll certainly on the fundraising side and on the permitting side. Um, but I feel like we, we at least got one door open that we can start sprinting through now um, on one part of it. So that's really exciting for us. Well, again, we really appreciate the time with you. I mean, I used to work down in Chinatown myself. So, I mean, cool. I, I know that that area really well. I've been a Brooklyn native my whole life, kind of like the opposite ends of the spectrum. I, you used to live in California and you went to New York. I used to live <laughs> in New York, I went to California. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. So well, definitely yeah, when... I think your idea is really cool, man. I wanted to talk Thank you very much. It. I appreciate it. Maybe next summer if we get something in the water, and obviously when the full pool is in the water, hopefully we'll get to meet in person. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I get out to New York like quite a bit, man. So if that happens, uh, I'll come check you out. Yeah, hit me up. We'll go grab a coffee or something. Sounds good. Thanks for listening in. That was Dong Ping Wong, licensed architect and the designer of the Plus Pool design that's been seen everywhere from CNN to Architectural Digest. 
You wanted to know about it in the pool industry, so we got him here to talk about this incredible concept that looks like it's shaping up to be an iconic new addition to the East River in New York City. Dong said he's open to a Q&A from the pool industry. I'll be posting this article in Ask the Masters, so feel free to ask in the comments. I'll make sure to pass along your questions and update you with the answers. Well, hope you enjoyed this episode. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors at Viking Capital, who are helping connect homeowners with the financing that they need in order to make their dreams of pool ownership come true. Make sure to subscribe and make sure you join us on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast.